Is it recording? Mm-hmm. Oh, there we go. Welcome, you guys, to another episode of the Sarah Palsy and Fitness Podcast. I have Zane Emerson, who's the author of Cascade and Overflow. And today we're going to go over his, what he's written, a little bit about himself, uh, disability representation, and a whole lot more. Welcome, Zane. Uh, thanks for having me, David. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited to have you on because you, ha- you have a very unique set of books, especially at the topics you go into. Um, one of the things I'm most interested in is, or from what I read a little bit about your backgrounds as far as your books, is it's mostly about um, saving saving the, the universe. And also, before we get into that, I would like to get more know more about you and your background like how did you get started with becoming an author what was it like for you growing up and a whole lot more um so yeah uh i have been writing uh in various forms for better part of 20 years now um i I really started uh when i was like eight or nine years old oh god 23 years (laughs) uh so yeah i've been writing since i was basically a kid um i've always uh loved storytelling and the art of uh like just kind of bring to bring to life these ideas and this feel that just kind of sits in our heads um i mean growing up i was kind of like an outcast myself I was very very much socially awkward I didn't understand people so I I always like to joke that I took my imaginary friends and I wrote stories for them because it made them feel more real to me and even today when I'm writing uh like my wife my beta readers they always say that when I'm when I talk about my characters and my books I always talk about I'm always like talking like they're my best friends that I've known these people all my life and I can just tell you oh yeah this is this is this is Taylor he's just you know he's kind of a douche but you get used Mm -hmm. to him so like it's 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 kind of a weird balance so um so yeah I, I started uh I started writing really early I like to write kind of mystery stuff when I was a kid um you know like uh the hardy boys kind of like that was like my first really foray into it i didn't really stick with the mystery genre though because it's kind of hard to write for me i mean i i'd spell things out way too quickly um and uh that's when i kind of really got into the fantasy world um like lord of the rings big inspiration for me game of thrones of course was a huge inspiration um and of course, Harry Potter, like all those really were the core start of my delve into the fantasy worlds. Um, and each one is problematic in their own way here or there. They, right. they each have their own issues, but that's all books. And it's, it's, hard, it's hard to say like, oh, this is problematic because it doesn't live up to today's standards. And as a writer, it's my, my kind of job, especially as I'm telling stories to make it relatable for everybody. And- the problem is, is you're never going to be able to do that either. So you you have to like right. take the shortcuts where you can, but do your best to represent, do your best to not talk down to your readers. Because um, right. I, I mostly write young adult stuff now. Um, and that's because uh, to me, I've always loved young adult books. There's uh, a certain amount of hopefulness to them. There's this feeling of I, we can take on the world, we can make changes, we can do great things. Um, 
so it's that it's that coming of ageness uh that has really always spoke to me and uh but the first two books i put out here that was very much my uh my goal was that i wanted to get that feeling of a bunch of friends who get pulled into this this world that they know but they don't know and then they're put into into bodies that aren't theirs at least for most of them and they have to kind of get used to this whole okay this is me but this isn't me mentality um which is kind of a big theme in a lot of my books would you would you say that um since you wrote the book yourself do you feel like there's a little bit about yourself in those books 100 percent, absolutely every because i almost exclusively write in the first person perspective um i feel like uh from a narrative perspective you can really get into the main characters like mentality and you get much more personal with them um and because of that oftentimes I, i'm not going to say that every main character i've ever written has been like me but there's little bits of me in there there's my sarcasm there's my kind of wry, dry humor um, and my little bit of, well, of course that would happen. Why wouldn't it happen to me? <laughs> like that kind of, and um, it, it's one of those things that as a writer, you, you do pull, you pull from people, you know, you pull from your own experiences when you're making characters, because that's how you make them real. Like you, you, right. you cause if you make every character too perfect or without flaws, then they're just the John Doe's and Mary Sue's they're, like nobody's going to relate to a perfect character and that's that's always been my perspective on the issue how do you how do you handle a situation a, a situation you being an author because i know publishing writing and then getting a book published can be very very daunting and extremely difficult at times how do you handle rejection oh god <laughs> so um that's that is a very very difficult um hurdle for a lot of people um and it's it comes down to the whole sense of traditional publishing versus self-publishing um i am exclusively a self-published author uh i have i had originally considered going the traditional route getting an agent going through a publishing house all that stuff but once you start putting more hands in the pots they want to change things they want the story to be this they want the story to be that and it loses the intention of the author, at least to me. And this isn't this isn't indicative of everybody or of how all publishing is. But for me, I know that I kind of write and tell more niche stories, and I don't like to um, necessarily write. Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? I don't think that every story needs to have an outright message to it. Um, not to say there isn't messages, there isn't messages like friendship um, can conquer or that teamwork is uh, how things happen or that there's hope even in the darkest of times. But a lot of, from a narrative perspective, a lot of books, movies, and media nowadays almost comes built in with commentary on the world around us. And to me, writing and books is supposed to be about escapism a little bit. Because we already live in a time and a world where things kind of can suck a little bit. We don't need to be watching for what we're watching for entertainment or reading for entertainment to be equally as crappy. That said, 
And that, that said, those books are also important because they do help to shine the light on these issues in a more palatable way. So are, it, it's it's a balance. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I'm wondering, what are some, I guess, um, I wouldn't say, I or I could say topics that you cover in your books. Like, do you have any topics specifically that you kind of cover? So, um, in the Catenary stream, which is where Cascade, Overflow, and which there's, it, that series has a total plan book count of seven or eight books at this point. Six in the main series, two or three little short story anthologies. Um, and the overarching theme and message of those books is that create creativity and out-of-the-box thinking is imperative to our life. Um, when you try and focus and you try and follow things to the T, things aren't going to go how you expect. Right. Um, but even more so, I think, uh, at least with these books, there's not a huge message to it. These were really kind of a passion project, more for about the fun. And because a lot of uh, what inspired this set of books specifically was always like, oh, I love dungeon mastering. I love being a DM for for D&D, but wouldn't it be so cool if I got to go into a world that I created and that was the that was all it took to inspire this series itself. Um, whereas some of my other projects that I'm uh, in the process of working on kind of face more along the lines of um, hopelessness and uh, being able to find inner strength um, even when you're outside of your own uh, comfort zone. Um, and that, that's something that very much speaks to me because again, I, I, I'm a very, very socially awkward person. I've always had kind of a, uh, I don't know how to interact with people on a face-to-face -face level. Um, so I kind of write these books almost to remind myself, Hey, you, just because you think you're weird doesn't mean everybody thinks you're weird. And sometimes you just have to put yourself out there. Right. And everybody, if you think about it, everybody communicates differently because some people could be good at communicating orally uh, in front of people. And some people could be good at communicating through paper and through writing books. And that's you. Yep. And I've, I've always said that, that I am I am a thousand times better on paper than I ever am face to face. Um, I, I can get through conversations. I can like make arguments and points. But when I have time to sit down and really kind of just think about what I want to say, I can really get where I, I think I can really make my point really well. Um, and uh, that, that's kind of where like a lot of my writing has always come from. I mean, um, I think uh, I, the problem I, I've had, though, is that I can be a little bit over, over, overly perfectionist with my writing, though. So like, that's where the balance comes in again, because you can be really good on paper, but if it takes you years to put it on paper, then how good are you? No, I can imagine you having to read something over and over and over because you want to make sure that you don't like submit anything that might be might look like there's a typo or something that's messed up. And then you go back to it. You're like, man, what the hell? Like, I should I should have caught this like right away. You know, I I actually learned a lot going the self-published route um, with Cascade. Uh, I there were a lot of mis mistakes in that book. Uh, when I first put it out, um, I had a, I had a team of beta readers who like read through it for content and issues and they found a lot of issues, but I noticed that I didn't 
put in the amount of effort that was really required. It was a big learning experience for me um, that I needed to really be more uh, conscious about the issues, the editing. Because you're right, when you're what I've probably read my books like more times than anyone else. I've gone through them both like a dozen times each because like oh, you're looking man. at every line and every time you read through it though, you start to glaze a little bit. Like you're like skimming because like, oh, I know this. I don't need to read it. But if you skim too much, you're missing out on important details. So Cascade, um, when I first published it and uploaded it, I ended up having to upload probably about eight more copies of it over the course of the first week after it got released. Because every every few days I would, oh crap, there's another issue. Oh, there's another issue. Let me just, it was terrible. Overflow was a seamless one. I have not, I uploaded one copy of it and I have not uploaded in a fixed copy because I, my, the team I had that um, helped me make sure it was ready to go were on top of it. Um, and I, I can't thank them enough. Like they, I've, I've gotten a few people who now like, you know, cause it's weird when you start to get some followers and people who enjoy your work because right. you're just like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I need, I need some beta readers to kind of get a sneak peek at this book before it's actually ready to put out there and help me see if there's any glaring issues. Um, and uh, I was very thankful that uh, Cascade had, even with its issues, uh, inspired and uh, uh, drawn the attention of um, some really, really cool people. Um, and and like an even bigger shout out to my narrator because I because I have both my books actually in audiobook form, um, which was a, a tremendously important thing for me to do uh, because I that's how I mostly consume books is I I listen to audiobooks because with with having a, a toddler and working all the time where do you find the time to sit down and read but with right. an audiobook you pop your headphones in you can just be working and listening along um so it was one of those things that when i first put my books out i was so so glad that i was able to find a way to get them turned into audiobooks and uh, uh mitchell cochran he's the guy who did um, the narrating for both of them he's signed on basically to narrate the entire series um and he, I, I've always said that my narrator is one of my first fans because he said he just fell in love with the books. And that's why he's so happy to keep coming back to them. That, that is uh, that is fantastic. And, uh, you know, come to think of it, it's, it's amazing how far uh, technologically wise we've we've grown. And mm. as a society, because now a lot of people had different options to, to be able to access a book. You know, they could do they don't have to just do it now. Paper, paper book, but they mm-hmm. have. The digital, they have the Kindle, they can listen to it. Uh, you have closed captioning. So a lot of people with different disabilities and um, different ways of communicating can actually consume a book in the way that they find fit and easy. Absolutely. I mean, and, and again, it, it comes down to that whole accessibility. Um, by provi- by offering audiobooks um, of my of my audio audio versions of my books, I am providing one more method that people can intake them. Because again, if you have somebody who's blind who loves to um, read, but they can't, you don't have a braille copy. Well, damn, they have an audiobook they can listen to happily. Um, and it's a uh, or again, people who just don't have the time to sit down and read. People who yeah. own, who people. This is going to sound as a weird thing to say, especially as a writer, but I've 
I, I legitimately believe that audiobooks are the best way to consume a book, um, especially when you have a narrator who cares about what they're reading, because you get so much more from the inflection, from the tone. Um, so when it, that, that you can really feel the, um, the depth of emotion in the characters. Uh, and that comes down to having somebody who, well, one, it comes down to having a, an author who cares enough and not just is, isn't just trying to get that extra form out there, but two, have, having that person who's willing to put in that time and effort to make something that resonates with people. Right, that's, and that's the best, when you can connect with your audience, and you, it shows that you care deeply about how, how they feel, their emotion. Um, you know, they're the, they're really, they're the ones that can give you that real feedback. Like, uh, to be honest with you, like, for example, like people that live close to you, like your family and your friends are going to be like, oh, this is great. But when it comes to an actual audience, they'll let you know right off the bat, like they're completely honest. Like they'll, they'll tell you. Uh, uh, I've had so I've had people before that tell me, "Oh man, this, this your your podcast is sounding like complete shit." And you know, people might not say people. Some people might take it offensive, but I'm like, oh. you know what? I look back to it and I'm like, it did sound like complete shit. So we might as well fix it, right? Yeah, like, um, so uh, these are not the first books I've actually written to completion. I before I had I published these two, I had a total of four stories that I have written all the way through I, that are between 70,000 and 100,000 words long. Um, but uh, two, of, two of them were fan fiction stories because I, when I was a teenager, I got really into writing fan fiction. Um, and that's kind of where I really started to develop my own narrative style. Uh, because the cool thing about fan fiction is you have these pre-built characters and this pre-built audience of people who know these characters and you can really kind of sink your teeth into writing a story around these characters. Um, but uh, the first book that I ever tried to write myself, um, which fun fact, I'm actually in the process of rewriting it right now. Um, that first book took me 10 years to write to completion. Wow. Um, and it was partially because I kept second guessing myself, um, but because I got so discouraged um, by some negative comments that a beta reader read, um, made when I, because I, I, um, I had about, written about two thirds of the book and I was just trying to get some feedback. Um, and I was a relatively new uh, writer to creating your own worlds and being serious about it, that I sent it out to a few people and I got back that the writing was terrible. It feels laborious to read. And it's yeah. just like, nobody's going to want to read past the first page. And that hit me really hard that I actually put the book down um, and did not touch it again for about five years. Mm. Um, and my, uh, my lovely wife uh, read it, um, uh, read the first couple chapters when we first started dating and she's like, oh, it's, it could use some work, but it's not terrible. You just kind of have to give it a little, give it a little TLC. And um, that she, she, I've always said she's my inspiration and my muse. And she, she ha had that, that, that belief that I could do it. And I finished it and it was, it was well-written, but that first 
half of the book was still pretty bad. So I kind of was like, you know what? I finished the book. I need to take a break from this world for a little while because I've been working on it for so long. Um, but again, it was still that little bit of not resentment, but disappointment in myself that I, I couldn't write something perfect right away, <laughs> which is silly to say, because you only get better with time. And I, I 100% believe that I have gotten become a stronger writer with every single book, every single thing I've written, um, even from Cascade to Overflow. Cascade, I think, was an excellent book, but Overflow, to me, trumps it. It is a far tighter book. It feels like it flows better. The story is a little bit more coherent. Um, and that's not to say Cascade is bad. I'm not going to talk bad about my own books. <laughs> I think Cascade is a fun story. And it, and it is a very good opening to a series. But I am old enough and wise enough to know that it's the first book that I published. And as long as I keep putting in that effort and keep trying, I'm going to only become a better storyteller. That's what, that's what matters. You hit the, you hit it right then and there. It's about, uh, being, per, being persistent, never, never giving up, uh, just keep going with what you, uh, what you intend to do. And, and you're going to encounter bumps along the way, but those bumps are a part of the journey, you know? Yep. And, and I know that one of the things you, you, you mentioned, uh, well, you reached out to me about, a I guess, a project you're working on as far as a character with a disability yes um so uh it's currently i don't i don't i come up with titles kind of on the fly so i don't have a title for this project yet um but it's very much uh like a trying to think of relative relative uh I don't even know what word I'm looking for right now. I call myself a writer. <laughs> uh, relevant, or relative, relatively speaking, something similar. Um, like how I explained these books are Dungeons and Dragons meet Jumanji. Uh, this new project is sort of Sword Art Online or Dot Hack Sign, you know, any number of video game animes meets superheroes. Right. Um, and uh, when I reached out to you, it's because I had a character that um, I was developing for the book uh, that, I was that um, was going to be disabled, uh, and the the what I wanted to do, um, especially when I'm writing a character that I I don't have the experience of being disabled. I don't. Um, but that said, I believe that the inclusion is necessary at certain points. Like you don't want to include a character or a type of character just for the inclusion, because then it feels token. It feels like you're just, oh yeah, look, I have this character in here. But you also don't want to go so far to the left that says, oh, look, this is, I'm trying to make a message about this kind of person either. Um, so I reached out to you because this character I had um, is, I, and I'm still developing him. So let me be completely honest. I'm still in the process of developing it. And my my writing style is very much an on the fly. I kind of write what feels right. I don't do a lot of outlining because I feel that the best stories come from when you're able to just sit there and start writing and let the story tell itself. Um, so this character I have uh, is a character who is um, a, a paraplegic that he... Um, is uh, uh, um, 
brought into this uh, virtual world and has full access to his body again. And I wanted to, when I reached out to you, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't um, not downplaying his disability, but making sure that this character could revel in the the power or the uh, the change in what he uh, he can do without making him resentful of his disability either, because. I don't think, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, I don't think that most people with disabilities are resentful all the time of their disabilities. Oh, yeah, um, you're right. You're right. But I can also, again, and this is this is just from my perspective of the research I've done, it is easy to be to to have something change and be like, oh, so this is what normal people feel like. And I, I hate to say normal because everybody's normal, <laughs> um, but uh, but like on a on a on a level of people who don't have to struggle with um, having these extra perspectives or um, perceptions perceptions um, from the outside world. Uh, so and it's why I asked you like it, one one of the most important things I asked you um, that I feel like I asked you was would would it be more impactful if this character is brought into this virtual world, but still had their disability, but it didn't weigh them down. Um, and I feel like that's, again, a weird line to, to, to run because then you're making the argument of, well, then did these programs specifically make it so that disabled people were stuck as disabled people? <laughs> <laughs> so you can see how the balance starts to yeah. come into play. Um, and that's, like I said, that was, that one is, probably third on my list of projects right now um because uh well honestly I bounce between projects I whatever I'm feeling connected to at the moment that's what I sit down and write because I try and write every single night um even if it's just 500 words I try and get it on paper because you can't you cannot edit a blank page um you can't you can't you can always fix bad writing, but you can't fix no writing. <laughs> yeah, like um, now that you mention you mentioned that uh, as far as what we talked about, you know, your your book and disability representation. It's funny because you see you see all these all these TV series, all these books that people release, and they they you know like when somebody's gonna cast somebody um, in a TV series. They'll cast somebody that's fully able-bodied to play somebody who's disabled. And that irritates me mm-hmm. so much because they have they have very little idea as to how the disability is. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you reached out to me firsthand to talk about, you know, this character and the disability shows that you actually care about what you're writing, your audience. Mm-hmm. And the individual itself. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that that's that again, that's very, very important to me. Um, like with uh with Cascade and Overflow and that entire series, that is kind of a different world, but all the characters that play parts in the main characters are things that I am very intimately familiar with at this point in my life. Um, like uh 
uh, the main character, well, I would say there's two and a half characters that have big influences on just who I am. Um, and it's because that was the easiest thing to pull from for my own knowledge uh, and my own ability to make these characters. Um, one of the characters is, I, I, I've, all, I've always made this very clear, uh, is based 100% on my wife, Sarah. Um, she is the, the love interest for the main character. She is very um, strong, but she has like this kind of sweet Southern Belle kind of personality to her uh, there. And um, then the, uh, the other two characters in it are based completely on two of uh, my closest friends. Uh, um, and they were very instrumental in kind of helping me shape the, their personalities. Cause I have a friend who's this big, boisterous, lovable dude that he's kind of a jock, but everybody loves him because he relates to everybody. And that's, that's who Soren in the book is. He's this character that even though he's this big brute of an orc, everybody loves him. <laughs> uh, whereas another character uh, is completely based on my other, another friend who I, I love him to death, but he's a little bit of a dick. <laughs> <And laughs> he's a little bit full of himself and he's aware that he's full of himself and he's aware that he thinks he can do everything better than everybody else. Uh, and it was very easy for me to be like, okay, this, this guy, yep, you, you make this character and I can, I can see this character as you. Um, <laughs> But on that same note, it's been very interesting because uh, as I've had people read it, I always read the books. I've always liked to, if I get one-on-one -on -one time to talk to any anybody who's read my books, oh, sorry, excuse me. Um, one of the first things I always like to ask is, who's your favorite character? Um, and I, again, because I'm talking about these guys like they're my friends. So I like to see like, okay, who's who's your favorite character? Because to me, that tells me, if you if you care enough about a character to say yeah that's my favorite it means that i made them realistic enough that you can relate to them and you could imagine them um and soren again is one of the people that people always say oh i love him he's just so fun he kind of is like this he's he's like he's not the comic relief of the story but he definitely brings uh levity to situations he definitely brings like this little bit of a uh, okay, yeah, I know we're kind of screwed, but how can we make this fun while we're doing it? <laughs> Attitude. That's uh, that's fantastic. I, I love the fact that you uh, you use, not necessarily use, but you you take advantage of those that support you around you, and you're like, if you can formulate an idea centered around them for your book, that is absolutely fantastic, and I love that. Yeah. Um. So. I wanted to also ask you if if there were an, if there was an author or author you would like to work collab with, who would you like to collab with on a book? Oh, there's a lot, honestly. Um, I would, I mean, I love all of Neil Gaiman's work. I think he writes some amazingly fun stuff. Uh, Good Omens is one of my favorite, and that's that's one where Neil Gaiman uh, collaborated with Terry Pratchett, and it was it's just such a fun story. Um, but uh, on an indie level or on a on a smaller, more current times, uh, I'd say Drew Hayes. Um, he authored the Superpowers series, which um, is 
hands down my favorite book series of all time, um, which I, a free shout out for him, I guess. Uh, mm. It's basically Harry Potter meets superheroes, but in college. And it is just, it's fun. It's, it's interesting. The mystery that's involved. Um, and he, I mean, he writes just great work. I, and I've had the pleasure to talk with him quite a few times. Uh, so maybe, maybe it's not out there, uh, out there as a collab, but um, uh, who else? So um, unfortunately, some of the people I would love to collab with them are dead at this point. <laughs> Like, who wouldn't want to try and write something with Tolkien? <laughs> um, oh, ah, that's a great question. I like to throw curveballs sometimes during my podcast. Yeah, so. no. Um, another person, uh, Jeremy Scott. Um, he, uh, most people probably recognize him or know him as the guy who does Cinema Sins, the YouTube channel. Um, he's the voice of that of that channel, but he also writes, and he has this fantastic book series called The Ables, um, which is actually about a group of disabled superheroes, um, and it is just such a fantastic YA read because it it hits all that importance, all those important things about how we can still do things that people can still do things no matter what their circumstances are, and I, I just think that's such a great message. Yeah, that's that's how that's how the world should be. Is like you like you said, you know, we are capable of doing doing anything as long as we believe in ourselves. We put in the work. Um, you know, we don't give up on ourselves. Which it, obviously it happens at certain points in our lives, mm-hmm. but we just have to uh, keep on going and keep pushing forward. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I mean that's that's exactly it. Though uh, I'm still I'm still thinking of your curveball question. Like, <laughs> I'm just like going through like who else? Like, I mean Stephen King too. Like that would be a great person. But yeah, that that would be that'd be major. That'd be huge. The thing is, I love Stephen King. He is probably hands down one of my favorite authors of all time. Um, and it's because his style of writing is identical to mine or I guess mine is identical to him I should have said I can't compare him to me he's, he's, he's 10 times or 100 times the writer I'll ever be but he's he um in the in terms of uh writing um and these are very colloquial terms they're not like nobody is fully one or the other um but in writing groups we have two kinds of writing styles we have the outliners and the pantsers Outliners are those who write by, they get every single detail of what they want to write down. They know the first, second, third act. They know every character. They know every plot twist coming. And they have all that planned out, written out before they ever even start writing the first chapter. Then you have people like Stephen King and myself who are pantsers. And what that means is we have an idea for a book. We sit down and you start writing it. And wherever the story takes you, you let it take you. Um, and I'm not saying either one's right or wrong. And even as a pantser, I become a little bit of an outliner in hindsight. So like with Overflow, um, writing a sequel is a very interesting task because with a first book, you don't have anything that you have, you're worried about contradicting. 
But when you write a second book, suddenly you have to be like, well, wait, what did I say in that first book? Oh, did I say this character looked like this in the first book? Well, I can't change them in the second book. Um, so you kind of do have to do a little bit more planning in that regard. Um, but even so, at this point, and um, it, this is where I say I'm starting to become a bit more of an outliner because originally the series was going to be three books. That's all I had planned was a three book trilogy. That's all I wanted to write. Then I, so I wrote the first book and I'm like, oh, maybe I need a fourth book for this. I, I think three books is going to be a little bit too short. Okay, good, whatever. Start writing the second book. I get to the end of the second book and I'm just like, nope, I can't just immediately go to book three. There needs to be two books between this book and what would have been book three. So like, it kind of is like this evolving process when you don't outline because you see where the story is going and what the story needs, and then you make adjustments accordingly. All right, that's, that's how it usually is. And the fact that you take your time and don't rush in between books, it's how uh, you keep people invested. And it's actually, uh, it can be very uh, well done. Like you said, your first book didn't turn out so well, but your second book was a lot better. So it's about ev evolution and improving and absolutely with any as with anything you know you it uh, takes time you know like when i first started podcasting i had no idea how to do uh audio and video and I, honestly hearing myself on camera i thought i was awful like just speaking on camera and just i don't want to and uh there are times where i retake the video multiple times because i was like ah you know it doesn't sound so good and then now that i'm i've done over 60 of them uh, by the way, yeah. you're, number, you're number 60. So congratulations. <laughs> yeah. So, and now here, here we are, uh, you know, we're both working on our, on our goals. And um, I also wanted to ask you, would you ever see your books in a movie as a movie form? Like, oh, you love to that would be a dream come true. Let's just be completely honest. And that that's the other thing is, um, I, I write books, but I'm, I have several other projects I, I'd love to work on. I have a, um, I have about a third of a screenplay that I've written at this point um, that I would have loved to eventually um, direct myself. Like uh, it, I'm not, I'm not necessarily huge in, like, I, into the directing field, but I, that was some of my original background. Um, in high school and uh, the the single year of college I did, I dropped out and joined the military, so I didn't ever finish college. <laughs> um, but uh, I I loved video production. I loved the idea of creating. It, again, it was just another form of storytelling. Um, so like I, I I would love for my books to eventually be turned into movies or TV shows. And I knock on wood, maybe it'll happen. Um, but that only can happen is if I keep pushing and keep trying, because I, I mean, I'm not going to say that I've had bestsellers here. I mean, I've gotten uh, between the, the book forms, the audiobooks, I've had about 150 sales total. Um, and not that's bad. not a huge number, but it's not bad. Right. No, um, not bad. And, and like, to me, like, I see that as kind of like this sort of not exponential growth. Um, but the idea is that as long as I keep putting stuff out, especially as an indie author, um, not because the, the problem with traditional publishing is the lag time. Um, I have a friend who is uh, 
is being traditionally published. Um, and it's one of the best things about writer groups is we're all very open with each other. We talk to each other, we help each other out. Um, well, this friend is um, traditionally published. Uh, they got accepted by the publisher um, about a week before I released Cascade um, back in November of last year. And their book is not going to actually be available until April of next year. Jeez. Yeah, and that's just the lag time because oh, it has man. to go through edits. It has to go through like the checks with the publishing house to make sure that there's nothing that they're going to disagree with. It has to go through all these extra steps. Whereas self-publishing, once I feel this book is ready, I can put it out there. Um, and this is a huge leap up from 15, 20 years ago when self-publishing was this big expense out of pocket and it wasn't accessible to anybody. And as as much crap as Amazon has done, they have really, really um, helped indie authors uh, find their voices. Um, their, their, um, their Kindle Direct program is, is what I go through for publishing. It allows me to make my hardcovers, my paperbacks, my Kindle copies, um, but it also allows me to directly go through their other system, the ACX, which allowed me to find my narrator so that I could have the audiobooks. Um, so it's this accessibility that has really um, come a long way uh, that has made it easier to put these books out. Because, um, and again, the problem with that is their, their success or failure lives and dies with me. Like, I have to be the one marketing. I have to be the one shamelessly self-promoting it at all times. And that's not a problem if you're inclined to be that kind of socially out there person. So it's made me grow as a person because I can't, I can't hide in my shell anymore. I can't be like, Oh, I don't want to deal with people because I need to be confident enough to say my books are amazing. You should go buy it right now. Right. You know, you gotta, you gotta be willing and able to, you know, get your, like you said, to get yourself out there and remember that, um, the only way you'll become successful as well is networking, mm -hmm. meeting people, you know, get onto anything and everything you can. Like I right now, like just being able to speak with you, you taught me that self-publishing is a route to go because I myself would like to write a book about my life in general uh, down the line. So the fact that I got to speak with you today, it helps out a lot. Yeah. I learned a lot I, about you. Absolutely. Um, I mean, like I said, it's, it's, I didn't know as much until, so I wrote Cascade and a grand total, I think from start to finish, it took me 28 days to write the first draft of Cascade. Um, and now granted edits and rewrites and fixes grand total it took about from start to finish about six months for cascade to be ready for um, publishing um and again it should have taken longer because i should have put more effort into it um uh well it, no it shouldn't have taken longer because i honestly i finished writing it and then i put it down for about three or four months and said okay i'll come back and look at you again in a little bit because i wrote it in a fever dream um and uh so i put it out there and i was gonna work on some other projects um oh sorry excuse me 
In fact, I uh, I briefly wrote a web serial for about four months, um, which is a, a web serial is when you um, have a website and you can you post chapter by chapter, a couple chapters a week, so people can follow along and read awesome. along as, as they want to. Um, and I, I had a sci-fi um, now a sci-fi story uh, called Star Launch Academy that I wrote for about four months before I put it on hiatus because the story wasn't quite working out how I really wanted it to. Um, but that book itself, I wrote 80,000 words of before I finally kind of put hit pause on it. Um, <laughs> and then once I and I put pause on that in about, mm, I got it is still the same year that I put out, uh, I, I put this all out. Um, I, put, I put pause on it at about April. And then I started working on Overflow. Overflow took me, again, a month to write the first draft. But because I had learned so much from my first experience self-publishing with Cascade, I knew all the steps I needed to take to have this book polished and ready to go. And two months after I finished the first draft in July, it was published. Um, and again, I haven't had to go out back and do any fixes to it because I have such a great team of beta readers. Uh, my dad too, he actually is, was my editor this time around. He oh, went through cool. and red marked and everything. Um, so I, I always, I, I can't thank all of them enough uh, for helping me put something out much more polished. And I think uh, with every new book that I work on here, I'm going to have a little bit more experience, a little bit more uh, of the streamlining it where the, that little lag time is going to keep shrinking because I'm going to know what I need to do with each step. And eventually I would, I do eventually want to, cause I love my dad, but I don't want to only rely on him to, to do the editing and stuff. Cause he's right. not a professional editor. And I would love to eventually hire somebody to edit my books a little bit more for like line edits and content edits to kind of help me keep things a little bit smoother instead of just grammar edits, which my dad is a fantastic grammar editor, um, but it's not his wheelhouse of content. So he's not going to be as aware of what to look for, for, well, this needs to be fixed because it doesn't line up with what you said back here. Yeah. And um, a <clears throat> fun fact for my audience, Zane himself um, took the time to revise my bio and turn into something awesome that I've used <laughs> since you've wrote. Like I've literally reused that same bio for everything for when I'm promoting, you know, myself. Um, of, of course I had somebody else, a close friend of mine, she made my flyer that I, that I used to promote. And uh, you know, and that's to attest how good of a writer uh, Zane is like you're, you're to me you're underrated so a lot of people you know but I that's, how, that's that. how i feel you know that's how i feel you know i uh i, I like to think i mean i know I, I know this sounds like not very humble to say it, but i do feel a little bit underrated um and it's because that, that there is um there is a lot of content out there and it's hard for people to say that they're going to read something or another and especially as a new author it's hard to convince people to give you a chance because with somebody like Stephen King, JK Rowling, um, wow, I am blanking on authors right now. And that is not <laughs> a good look for me. Um, so let's just say with Stephen King, he has a built in audience. He has people who are going to see Stephen King on a book and know, okay, this is probably going to be pretty good. 
Um, and that's not to say he doesn't have his bad books. He has a good few of them that are decent books up until about the third act. And then it's like, <laughs> okay, you did not know how to finish this story, sir. Um, <laughs> but I digress, not the point. Um, as a new author, you have to not only convince people to give you a chance, but if you have something that's a little bit of a weak start, you have to convince them to stick with you and grow with you. Um, and I've been very fortunate that I have um, a good few people who are really in my corner at this point. Uh, I, I'd love to have more, of course, because the more people you have recommending the books to other people, leaving reviews for the books, the more people are going to give it that chance because they'll see these people that say, oh, yeah, this is good. So, yeah, I can give it a shot. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's I saw I saw you can do is just uh you know, give it an opportunity. And, and if it, if it does, well, it does, if not, there's always room for improvement, you know, and it's just a matter of like, like we've been talking here on our podcast is just a matter of uh, find what works for you. And if it's not, doesn't work for you the first time or that particular, uh, now, now I'm blanking on words, that, that particular uh, way of doing it doesn't work for you. There's always other methods, other ways of doing it. Yeah. And um, even more importantly, especially with writing, um, I think that one of, the, one of the very important things to remember as a writer is that just because a story doesn't work in one style doesn't mean it won't work in another. Yes. Um, so I, I say that because uh, that the book that I um, had written that took 10 years to write, um, I've been working on the second draft of it, which I always say is really the 1.5 draft because I am rewriting it almost from scratch. Um, so like it still has the bones of the original story, but I, I'm taking everything I've learned um, since finishing that book, since writing my, my other works now and saying, no, I know how to tell these stories now. I know what I did wrong. And I can say that first version of that story, there was a lot wrong. I focused too much on the wrong plot points. I focused too much on the wrong interactions that it became this overbloated story. Um, and I think it's important to note that just because it didn't work with those plot points didn't mean that the bones of the story weren't good. Um, so I, uh, I went through these, this state, these stages of, okay, well, maybe even though I'm a first person author, maybe I should try writing this book in third person perspective and see if maybe that puts a new light on the story. Um, so I wrote actually about 25,000 words of that story in third person perspective, it was, but it became such a completely different story that it lost its feel it lost that that kind of connection that you had to the main character um which to me was so important because uh this 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 book um which this one does have a name it's shift um this this story is very much about this guy coming to terms with his self-imposed isolation um and how he has very much felt like he is against the world because he's different uh so like when I tried to go third person with that and I got out of that character's head, it stopped being about him, which did not work for me. Um, so I was like, no, this needs to be first person. So I started writing it in first person again, but again, with everything I had learned. And I asked a couple of my beta readers, hey, I want you to read 
the first five chapters of this third person perspective and the first five chapters of this first person. And you just, you each tell me which one feels better. And, um, and thankfully they all came back to me and I didn't give them, I didn't tell either which, any of them, which one I preferred. I didn't tell any of them, like what was the intended version and unanimously they each came back and said the first person perspective is better because I can actually understand this main character. Um, so it really does come down to the story and how you need to tell that story. Fantastic, man. Like I've seriously enjoyed like having you on, getting to learn, getting to learn so much about how a story develops, uh, not from just a, uh, just from a different author's perspective, but from your perspective. And um, I will have, uh, I'll include the links to both your, your books in the description. Absolutely. And uh, you mentioned that your book is available on Amazon, right? That's only exclusively there? Um, okay, so you can find uh, Cascade and Overflow um, in on Kindle, um, paperback and hardcover through Amazon. You can get the audiobooks of both of them on Audible and iTunes. Awesome, awesome. And I'll definitely include all that in the description. Zay, and it's cool. been fun having you on having you on tonight. Like we've had a absolutely an awesome yeah. conversation. And yeah, um, we can only go from here, right? That's all we can do. We just got to keep moving forward, man. Um, and actually, hey, these two books right here, these are for you. So next time I see you, I'm going uh, oh, to give you brother. these over to you. Thank you, brother. So. Uh, hey, uh, sign them for me. I'd like to, I'd like to be able to display <laughs> you them. You got it, man. Yeah, for sure. You know, I want to make sure that uh, when you when you make it to that point where you're you're successful, I can always say, hey, I, I, I know Zane from when he his humble beginnings. You know, yeah. you've always been a humble individual since I've first met you and I'm so happy for you to, that you've been able to achieve the kind of success you have now and I can't wait to see you in the future. Thanks and I, I can't wait to see what you do too man I mean you have you have really come such an amazingly long way since we first met and I'm I can't say how much how proud I am of you too man. I appreciate you man and um, I'm definitely excited and I, I think this will be the, the first of many uh, I guess many episodes we'll, we'll do together because you know because I've, ha I've had guests on multiple times, you know, different topics. And, um, you know, I just like to see people evolve all the time. And that's just awesome about getting to meet people is seeing how they've evolved, how they've improved over time and, and uh, you know, just seeing them successful. Absolutely. And I, I, I would love to be back on that. Anytime you want to give me a holler or tap me, just give me a call. Maybe when I'm ready to uh, start promoting the next book. <laughs> yeah, that's that sounds great. Yeah, that would be a def a good great idea. Okay, man. All right, hey, well, you know what? Anytime you need me, I'm I'm here for you, man. Oh, thank you, brother. And um, you can find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and other major other any other major podcasting outlet out there. Um, there's always a saying that I use when I typically end the podcast, but I've kind of modified it a little bit and it's this you know if zane and i can do can do these things do all these things become authors motivational speakers podcasters despite our challenges and limitations in life so can you oh thank you zane <laughs>
Hey, no problem, man. I'll, I'll talk with you later. And until, until next time, everybody, have a good one.